0: Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling.
1: Hello everyone, you are almost assuredly welcome to episode 71 of the Talking Stories uh, podcast. I am joined by the marvellous... The Splendiferous, the recently out of retirement, back after only two episodes from his final one, Mr. Marco Giron. How are you today, Mark?
0: I'm good, but let me clear this up. I'm All not right. back. I'm not back.
1: You never I'm really s- went away. No,
0: <laughs> I do still no longer work for the yeah. National Leprechaun Museum. I'm yeah. off doing other things, but. Yes. I heard the previous. very. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the uh, pre- and it had to be redone. Yes, yes.
1: Well, let's just say that the theme of uh, this uh, podcast in particular uh, suits uh, the two of us down the ground a lot more than it did the previous person we had booked
0: for this. Well, I, I think it was, I don't think it's one person, it's two people. You just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it is, it, I mean, it, it is quite a topic to kind of deal with. It's a great story that's going to be coming up. It features, po- no, not possibly. Definitely my favourite um, person from Irish mythology. Yeah. The one I I feel most akin to, though I now regret saying that given what I know is coming up in this podcast. Yeah.
1: And I will say to the listener that uh, this episode comes with a parental advisory. It comes with strong language uh, from the start. There are scenes of uh, sexual nature yeah. And if you happen to be in the car traveling from A to B, and you got the kids in the back of the car, they really shouldn't be listening to this.
0: Or your mother-in-law. I
1: don't know. Depends. I've heard stories of men uh, who, along with their girlfriend, had to take their mother-in-law to the cinema to watch Fifty Shades of Grey. So.
0: That's fair and relevant, by the way, yes. and you, and of course you can play this podcast yes. in front of your children yeah. it just makes you a bad yeah. parent
1: yes that's and true. if
0: and if irish mythology has taught me anything
1: it's ireland is full of bad parents yeah that's it the story is told by the uh, marvelous mr nisha o'din who really lets his imagination run wild on this one
0: but it, i mean it, it's there they're not like i mean not adding anything like kind of like that that isn't already happening and going on, but I think our job and our responsibility is to kind of have it make sense and understand why things are shown in the way that they are.
1: That's true. And listeners, uh, as you listen to Nisha's story, yes, he let his imagination run wild, but you know, it is true to the sources. Just remember yeah. that when you hear phrases
0: that you're going to hear, they can't be unheard. No. But this is the next installment of our journey through the mythological cycles, which, of sure course, is. Uh, on the 15th of every month, that's what we do. Uh, and the 4th no. of every month is uh, a wonderful folk tale. Yes. Uh, but this is the next installment of our journey. And, of course, it is uh, it is one of the Dagda stories.
1: It is. And it is another great example of the war between the Fomorians, the giants of Irish myth and legend, and the Tuha de Donan that race of creatures that would one day become the fairies
0: so guys listen to the story enjoy the story try not to judge them by today's standards mm. the times were different the times were harder the stories were more colorful <laughs>
2: You know, in some ways, the Dagda was the original sexy daddy of the Tuatha Dé Danann. One of his names was literally the All-Father, and even if he wasn't literally the biological father of all the Tuatha Dé Danann, I think symbolically he was their daddy. He was there to take care of them in their time of need and to defend them against their enemies, such as in the great battle of Moichura. When the Fumora invaded Ireland and set up their war camp in the north of the country, well, it was the Dagda's job to go and scout them out. He knew that he needed to buy the two a day enough time to prepare for the battle. If they had enough time to, to prepare their magic spells, they knew they'd win. Their sorcerers and druids would cause fire to rain down from the heavens. They would take the courage for battle from their enemies' hearts. And in my favourite curse of all time, they would bind the pea to their enemies' bladders, forcing them, and their horses, to fight with a desperate urge to urinate. Not exactly conducive to military strategy. Thing is, these spells needed time to be enacted. So the Dagda agreed he'd go up to the Foimeras war camp in the north of Ireland and talk with them, hoping he could buy a week's peace so they could finish their incantations. And so off he went. He put on his long hooded cloak and took with him his staff. He always took that staff with him wherever he went, traditionally carrying it between his legs, dragging it behind him, leaving a furrow in the earth so deep it could serve as a boundary ditch for one of the provinces of Ireland. Nothing euphemistic going on there. After some time he arrived at the great Foymada war camp, there were short swords, shields, spears, roaring fires, cauldrons with bubbling meat, and all the Favre. Some stunningly beautiful, pale and tall, others hideously deformed, beasts of one eye, one arm and one leg. He walked his way through the camp until he was led to the Fuemera's high king, Ingech. He greeted the Dagda as though he was a brother, and asked him why he'd come all this way. The Dagda talked and talked, asking for peace, and peace was agreed. The Foymear were being suspiciously helpful. The Dagda didn't know quite what was going on at first. But when he asked to leave, Injak gave him a big smile. Oh no, you can't leave yet. You've come all this way, and you haven't had a bite to eat. Because in fairness, if the Dagda left now, what would he say about them? He'd give the foimera the equivalent of a one-star review on TripAdvisor. That was not going to happen. People took hospitality seriously back then. The Dagda was led around to the back of the camp, where he saw a pit, 20 foot by 20 foot by 10 foot deep, filled to the brim with Porridge. As the Dagda's eyes took in the gloopy mess, he could see puddles of white, greasy lard. He could even see the full carcasses of goats and cows floating along in the porridge mix. And he knew exactly what was going on. The Foimera knew that if the Dagda refused to eat the meal they had provided him, he would refuse their hospitality. That would mean he was no longer their guest, and they could kill him on sight. Which had obviously been their plan all along. The laws of hospitality were protecting the Dagda at the moment. But one false step, his protection would be removed, and they'd kill him on sight. They knew the Dagda's love of porridge was great, and so they wished to use it to mock him. Thing is, they'd underestimated the man, because he loved porridge. He dove into that pit and began shoveling the porridge down his gullet with his bare hands. As more of the mix disappeared down into his belly, his stomach grew and grew, swelling out to three times its original size. And as more and more of the porridge mass disappeared inside of him, he let out a belch that would shatter mountains. And then he was done. There he lay at the bottom of the pit, picked clean. Naked as the day he was born, his clothes shattered rags underneath him. And the plan may not have worked perfectly, but the foymera would take a win when they could. They decided the dagda was humiliated, and that would do for today. They told him he'd have his week's peace and to be off. Carefully, the dagda managed to pull himself out of the hole, and he saw that most of the foymera had left but one of them had lingered. A mysterious girl. She walked towards the Dagda, eyeing him up and down, and she told him that she was a princess. She felt that she should not have to walk all the way back to her camp, for she was royalty, and she deserved to be carried like a queen. In fact, she wanted the Dagda to carry her back to camp on his back. And he gave her a little smile. He said that normally he'd be happy to give a beautiful woman like her the ride, but unfortunately, given his present condition, he really couldn't do so. But the girl was having none of it. You see, watching the Dagda eat that obscene amount of porridge had woken something deep and primal inside the princess. She kicked the dagger over onto his back and began leaping atop his full stomach as if it was some sort of perverted trampoline. As she bounced up and down, the inevitable happened. The porridge began to move south, searching for an exit. And it found one. As if pumped out by the princess, foul smelling ropes of feces spewed from Undagda's arse, coiling around the two until both were encased inside what can really only be described as a poo igloo. And that's when the princess realised she was deeply into scat play. For she and the Dagda began to make love inside of the igloo for three days and three nights. At the end of which time, because the Dagda was a gentle, considerate lover, she had been won over to his side, promising to fight against her father Injek in the upcoming battle on the plain of Moitura. Which she did. And with the fire raining down upon them, with no courage for battle and all desperately needing to wee, The Foimera were defeated. Which you've heard about before. But as the Foimera began to flee the battlefield, they decided as an act of petty vengeance, they'd steal one of their most prized treasures. The Dagda's harp. It knew how to play the four kinds of music, and with it the Dagda could summon in the seasons of the year. It was incredibly valuable. And so they took it for themselves. The Foimera absconded with the harp, fleeing the battlefield, setting up camp in an old dusty ruin, where they began to prepare a feast before plotting their next move. But of course, as soon as Balor of the Evil Eye and the rest of the Foimera were defeated, the Dagda quickly missed his harp. He asked Lou of the Long Arm and the strong man Ogma to accompany him, as the three f- followed in hot pursuit behind the Foimera. They soon caught up to where they'd set up camp. And as they approached, they heard the gentle sounds of the foimera sleeping. And there, at the far end of the hall, was the Dagda's harp. He stretched out a hand and called it to him, and though it was bound by iron chains, it wrenched itself free and flew to its master's hands. Unfortunately, the wrenching metals caused the foimera to wake up They began reaching for their weapons, crying out in harsh voices. And Lou whispered into Undagda's ear, I think you'd better play that harp. And so he did. First he played a song of mirth, and the foimera collapsed to the ground, laughing, their bodies shaking with joy. He then played a song of sorrow, and the foimera collapsed to the ground, weeping. And then... Play the song of sleep, a soft, delicate tune, and even in their anger the Foemera were unable to keep their eyes open, and they all drifted off into a deep sound slumber, giving Lou, Ogma, and the Dagda plenty of time to sneak away. And from that day on, the Dagda was never separated from his harp. And from that day on, you better believe, he would always wake up to a big, healthy bowl of porridge every single morning.
0: Well, we told people what to expect, so you can't really complain, guys. You no. could have you could have turned it off, but it was a great story. And, and it, it makes me think of questions like, Are you a fan of porridge?
1: I am a big fan of porridge. Yeah,
0: you, you, def- yeah, you definitely strike me. Do you make your porridge with water or milk? Uh, water. Ah, you see. I think probably one of the biggest issues in this story is that the doctor made it with milk. Right. And they're lactose intolerant maybe that maybe. would explain an awful lot it'll of what it'll it'll went it'll in work. there and, then, <laughs> and the sheer magnitude of what went on yes maybe yes. the doctor could have switched to soya or, uh, or oat milk oat milk would have been a good choice yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and not that i'm not saying readily available but definitely uh, not outside the realms of possibility
1: i just think the boiling point of um uh, dairy is is bad for porridge if you know what I mean? That's, fair. That's can, fair. I use milk to cool it down, but not to make it.
0: I get. You. I'm actually going to move yeah. to porridge because I think I think it'd be really good for me, and I do like how you can dress it up quite well.
1: I break it up, uh, like uh, rather than eat it seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year. I will break it up with a bit of yogurt and muesli.
0: Oh, nice! I like that. That's quite continental of you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but listen, getting back to the story here, that is an amazing story, it, and it's it sure is, yeah. It's in, in, in regards to the journey, the mythological journey, I think it's a really important step. It is. So much hinges on that kind of, it might not seem like a major story, but it is a definite kind of like hinged point
1: yeah it it really sets the stage for uh Lula, father to come in and be the serious warrior and to to win the day and to be elevated as uh the god of making things after the after the battle of moitura um because the leadership style of the Dagda seems to be pretty unique now it's very clear that he is willing to do almost anything for his. Uh, for his people and indeed for his own pleasure Uh, but it's a leadership style where i'll get in there i'll i'll do that i'll do the necessaries and uh,
0: that's how i ran the museum for 13 years (laughs) i feel like this is a dig at me (laughs) no it's not it's
1: not at all it's i'll get in there i'll do uh the necessaries um but uh it's it's uh, not nece- it's not in, in, in a leadership style that would easily cultivate respect. You'd, you wouldn't fear the Dagda in the way you'd fear Jupiter or Zeus. or.
0: Yeah, and that's why, I because I like, I literally the Dagda means the good God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? and he, But I, I find that he's, he's kind of turned into a, a, a character of ridicule an awful lot. Because yeah. uh, he's incredibly strong yes he is quite a, a good diplomat you know yeah. he's, he's get, getting people on side and getting stuff done but because of his silliness or his willingness to be silly and indulge himself uh, he becomes quite farcical
1: yeah and sometimes a tragic figure as well such as when his son dies in Donegal yeah. and they um, they construct the green on auluck mm. so he has uh elements to his character that wouldn't be typical of a king of the gods anywhere else in the world.
0: Yeah. I, but I and I love that I love that he does stand out as being different. He's not as intentionally or maliciously problematic as some of the other kind of like figureheads of, of you know these, these gods. Um I'll be honest, I think I can get away with saying it given uh Nisha has really lowered the bar. Or raised the bar. It's hard to it's hard to distinguish. But he's less rapey.
1: Yes, that's very true Consa- I mean he is very well, there's nothing uh, as far as I can tell there's nothing like the the rape of Europa uh, you know, or uh, the Apollo and um, Hy- hyacinthus yeah there's nothing like that in uh, the Irish tradition from what I can tell
0: yeah and I, I from and again, I'm biased towards the Dagda, but I do think he he may do the wrong thing but he'll do it for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't know which of us I'm talking about.
1: But there's, uh, like in the myth, the mythology of it, it is always striking how much these these figures still reflect the modern Irish.
0: Yeah, I, I think that our stories are still so relevant and the ways to interpret them, and it's what I've always loved about the museum, is seeing a younger... Kind of audience coming in, an audience of storytellers rather, and and how they interpret and how they use the stories to communicate with a modern modern audience.
1: Now, I'm not saying that every Irish person is constructing a scatting glue but you no, know. No. But um, they but they, uh, they know about the laws of they respect greatly the laws of hospitality, for yeah. instance. Um, the women have a no nonsense approach to. Uh, Sex and, re- and relationships and what yeah. they and what they want for themselves from a sexual relationship. That's t- something still very modern in that.
0: Yeah, I mean the Dagda I mean we see him you know, approaching the powerful female kind of characters for their knowledge and for their power like so often. Mm. You know he clearly understands and appreciates their role, uh, in in their society. Yes. The Dagda is still incredibly powerful, yes. And wields these magical items that that get referenced in here. One, one being of course the uh, the club, which I'll be honest now, as Nisha described it, I think Nisha may be quite suggestive. Oh yes. Um,
1: uh, well, when is a cigar not a cigar? You know. <laughs> yeah, that
0: you know? that's true. But uh, yeah. the the Dactas club. Gives life with one end, yes. and takes it with the other, and we see how he. In one version of how he gets that the possession of that is after the death of Cain, his son. Mm-hmm. Um, but his other magical items. Do you have a
1: favorite? Um, no, the, I like the well. I like the the idea of a club that starts and finishes everything. Um, Part of plenty that would be very handy.
0: Yeah, you could have porridge every day.
1: I could have porridge every day, but imagine a pot that you could pour a pint of beer into and never again want for a drink for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You could finally use it to construct that, what's it, perpetual motion
0: device as well. You could do that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have, of course, the harp. Yes. uh, Which, again, beautifully... beautifully. Symbol of of Ireland. And odd
1: that the symbol of Ireland should be um, uh, in the early mythology... Associated with a character, um, will say that is not is not immediately due respect on the stereotypically
0: fair, fair. But again, I have to wonder because we only have access to the writing. So much has been lost. You would have to wonder how much interpretation was given to that in the last kind of like four hundred years. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, we tend to work. W- the modern mind tends to work from a very sceptical spect- uh, position that everything in there must be uh, through the lens of what people want us to know and want us to hear yeah. and through that kind of propaganda lens. But there are moments in every world mythology where some someone is is saying a story is just so good it gets passed on. Yeah. You know that there is something in there that people... Like if you look like at the foundation of the Roman Empire as well, you know the the kidnap of the um the Romans were quite clear that they had been started by uh, two brothers who didn't get on, yeah, and that part of their foundation was that they went and they kidnapped a lot of women, yeah, so it's uh, sometimes uh, people are are prepared if a story is good enough to carry it on. Regardless of what people will think about them as a people,
0: yeah, and I suppose some people use that in go, oh well, it's it's it was it's history. We need to preserve it. We need to keep it going. When the message goes against current views of the world, I oh, we see. Mo- even it doesn't matter who it offends. This is what it was. You know what I mean. This is you know where it came from, and I don't think that's always right. But we do have to understand where we come from. But just this kind of portrayal of some of the characters, I'd have to wonder. Was it always like that? You know what I mean? Wasn't there an agenda at any point? But again I'm defending the dagger because I love the dagda. But I think actually, even though I love a stick, Haughty, oh I, yes, I yeah. do. And I love I'd love a pot of plenty, it is the harp for me. Right. Imagine that, like the music to soothe, to to rile up to people imagine you with that now
1: oh i'd love that uh you know for, to, it'd be a great aid to uh, meditation and re- reflection yeah where you could just uh, instead of having some uh american woman no offense to american people but uh i uh, would like a little bit more of diversity in the sounds of that uh, le- lead meditation online um that it would be nice to have that kind of, the dagger in the corner, just lightly strumming a harp, that soothes you.
0: Yeah, but like, and again, riles you up when it needs to rile you up, and yeah, control. Yeah. I once read a, a version of one of the stories which said that it controlled the three winds. Yes. Of Ireland and that, that, that really. A,
1: that was an old joke I I heard going to school that. Uh, uh, <laughs> The Irish were so poor; they only had three winds.
0: Yeah, but that is how it like it was described. Yeah, is that yeah, yeah, I just don't know where that came from. I wish I had an answer, but I don't know.
1: Maybe if if there's a meteorologist out there, contact us and tell us. Well, Ireland only has three prevailing winds, uh, so that'd be that'd be very interesting.
0: But there's not much wind out there at the moment, as we're looking out the window here, Paddy. It's blue skies. The summer is well and truly on its way. Oh
1: definitely and you know I wish I was down in my own County Kerry uh, maybe lazing on the grass there in uh, near Ballon Skelligs taking the boat out to the Skellig Rock and climbing up to the mountain and gazing out over the, the blue green waters of the, the Atlantic and wondering to myself did the dag ever play the harp
0: here and the thing is by your aesthetic I can picture you do, doing that so well mm. but knowing you I can't imagine you taking a boat out across and climbing a mountain. But the aesthetic is... I've
1: done it uh, twice. Have you? What age were you then? Oh, uh, good Lord. That's enough of an answer for me. (laughs) (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, it was a pleasure to have uh, Mark back for this uh, Kinky podcast. Yeah. And I I hope... uh, he won't be a stranger uh, in the near future because uh, he knows we will miss him greatly uh, in the in the days and years to come his his expertise and his wisdom and uh, the camaraderie and the, and the crack as the as the years go by uh this was ep- episode 71 of the podcast i was potty holly you were Merck and you were very very good listeners
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.